I want to introduce you to our guest speaker, Tony Clark. Tony was called from Southern California to Virginia, where he is now the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Newport News, a multicultural fellowship of more than 2,000 people from over 30 countries. I really respect and love Tony and his ministry. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Tony Clark? All righty, God bless you. And welcome to Calvary Albuquerque, my wife and I. We're honored to be here with you again, to be invited back. And my good friend, uh, Daniel Fusco, next week will be here. And so uh, we're just honored to be able to be in this pulpit and to share God's word with you. So if you're here for the very first time, you must come back and hear Pastor Skip, who is one of the greatest Bible teachers and communicators of our time. And so you must come back and hear him. You guys are very blessed, very blessed. So because that clock is ticking, I need to get started. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. To know more about what's God, what God is doing in our uh, church as well, uh, we happen to be featured in the Calvary magazine right along with this wonderful church and Pastor Skip. And so they did an eight-page layout on our church and our 25th anniversary, and you get to find out more about that just getting uh, the Calvary magazine. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Father, thank you so much for this tremendous honor and privilege we have to open up your word and to hear from you. Lord, as we sit at your feet, let your spirit teach us. Give us the understanding. Reveal the secrets of our hearts, Lord, so we can leave here saying truly God was in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, the title of this message is Imitators of Christ. Imitators of God, should I say. Now, this is a mind-boggling title to me because how can we, as sinful beings as we are, imitate a sinless God? And we're told here, Pastor Chuck Smith always taught us God's calling is his enabling. What God has called us to do, he will enable and empower us to carry it out. We need God to carry it out because we're sinful. God is sinless. And so we're told to be imitators of God. Amazing kind of idea, amazing kind of thought. Notice, you know, if you know because you're well taught here, the book of Ephesians is divided into two parts. The first three chapters is dealing with Paul telling the believers in Ephesus what God uh, has done for them how God chose them, how he redeemed them, how he called them, how he sealed them, how they're sitting in heavenly places with Christ in the, in the heavens. He's told them a marvelous amount of things. Then in the second half of the book, in, verse, in chapters 4 through 6, he tells them what they need to do for God. He always tells us what God has done for us first before he tells us what we need to do for God. Because this way, we'll respond out of a heart of gratitude instead of a heart of duty. So here we are in the second half of the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. And here we find ourselves in verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, let me stop right there. Just to let you know, I am a words person. 
Meaning, I like to point out these words in the original Greek language. The reason for that is so I can have an expanded understanding of that particular verse. The reason why I need that, and I know there are many of you out there that need it too, is because our English language can be somewhat limited. Let me give you an example. We only have one word for love. We all know that there's different types of love. The love I have for my wife is different from the love I have for my children. And the love I have for my children is different from the love I have for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's just a different kind of love. The Greeks had at least four words for love. They had phileo, where we get our English word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. They also had eros, where we get exotic, sensual, sexual kind of love. They had storge that describes the love between a parent and a child and vice versa. And then there was agape. Agape was not introduced in, in, into the classical Greek language until the apostles introduced it because the Greeks knew nothing about this love. Agape love is God's love. It's divine love. It's unconditional love. It's love with no strings attached. And so, the, so because of this, the Greek language is a little more expressive. So I will bring out these Greek words so we can have an expanded understanding of what Paul meant when he said what he said to the church of Ephesus. Let's start off. Notice he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. The Greek word for imitators is mimetis. It's where we get our English word mimic from, which means to imitate the pattern or behavior of someone you admire. So here he tells us who we should be imitated. We should be imitators of God as dear children. I want to draw your attention to the word dear. Dear, the, the root of that word is agape. So he said, be imitators of God as beloved children. Did you know that you're beloved today? In all of your mess and all of the stuff you've done this week, God still looks at you as being beloved. I'm reminded of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 when Daniel had been fasting three days and th uh, actually 21 days, should I say. And all of a sudden the angel came to him and when he saw Daniel, he says, oh, Daniel, greatly beloved by God. And here we are, sinful beings, and God calls us beloved children. Oh, 1 John 3, 1 says, oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Who? What kind of God do we serve that will love us? He didn't wait until we were good little boys and good little girls before he, he, he sent Jesus to die for us. Romans 5 eight says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're beloved children of God. It's amazing that here we are as children of God. You understand children learn from their parents. And here as children of God, we are told to imitate God, mimic him and his patterns and in his behavior. So how can we imitate God? Here's the thing. The way we imitate God, there are some things we have to put away in order for us to imitate God. And Paul is going to tell us here. I want to draw your attention to the very first word. It says, therefore. Therefore is a transitional conjunction that takes us back to what was previously said. I love how Pastor Chuck Smith always taught us. He says, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. It is there for a reason. 
So it takes us back to what was previously said. So that means it will take us back into chapter 4. So to get the context, it takes us back to chapter 4 and verse 25. Look what it says there. Therefore, whoa, we got to go further back now. Now that takes us back to verses 17 to 24. In those verses, Paul is telling the believers of Ephesus, there are some things they must put off and some things they must put on. There's some things they must put off uh, that's connected to their old life. He tells us that in verse 22. Look what he says there. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, I want to draw your attention to the phrase put off. The Greek word is apatathemi. It's an amazing Greek word. It means to discard, to put off, to put away, to lay aside. It gives the idea and the connotation of laying, laying aside dirty clothes. These clothes we have on today, we're going to lay them aside at the end of the day. We're going to renounce them. We're going to put them aside. We're going to lay them aside. And the amazing thing about that is it's translated as lay aside in 1 Peter 2.1, lay aside all malice and those types of things. In Hebrews 12 in verse 1, it says lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnare us. And, and then also in verse 25, it says put in the way, same Greek word, apotheme, to discard. So God is telling us that there are some things about our old life that we need to discard, we need to lay aside, we need to put away that will keep us and hinder us from being imitators of God as dear children. The great thing about God is that he doesn't leave us naked. He told us to put something aside, take something off. He doesn't leave us naked. He tells us to put something on. Look what it says there in verse 24. And that you, uh, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The word uh, put on, the, the Greek word is in duo. It means to slip into a garment. We're told to lay aside things associated with our old life, our former conduct, and slip on and put on the garment of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to begin to tell us the things that are associated with our old life that we need to put away if we want to be imitators of God as dear children. Look what he says in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first thing we're told to put away, the first thing we're told to lay aside is lying. That's what we're told, lying. Put it away. Lay it aside. Lying, we, we have to do it. We have to lay it aside. We have to put it away. Because here's the thing, when we are lying, watch this, we are imitating Satan and not God. Satan is called in John 8, 44, the father of lies. He's called the father of lies. So we must put away lying, half-truths, exaggerations. We must put it away because that's how we got by in our old life. We used to lie and scheme and connive and manipulate. We got to put it away. Now, here's the thing that the Lord showed me when I was preparing for this. I've given this message around the country many times. But this is what the Lord showed me something fresh in this particular verse. 
Notice the context of where lying takes place. Watch this. Notice what it says in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with this neighbor. Here it is. Here it is. For we are members of one another. So he is talking about lying in the context of us as the body of Christ, as members of one another. How is it that we can lie in the midst of one another? Watch this. When we come to church and we have a veil over our faces, you say, what do you mean? You remember, you remember when Moses came down from the mountain. He came down from the mountain and the Bible said that he was glowing. Ooh, he was glowing. Why? Because 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So as Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Lord, when he left his presence, he was glowing. But Paul tells us something in 2 Corinthians 3.13. He said Moses put a veil over his face. Our initial assumption is he put a veil over his face because when he came down glowing with the presence of God, with the Shekinah glory of God, people were like, Moses, man, bro, you got to put that, put something over that. That's just, that's just too much. But that's not what happened. Paul tells us. In 2 Corinthians 3.13, that Moses put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not see that the glory was fading. In other words, we put a veil over our face so we can cover up that we have not been in the presence of God lately. And we don't want people to peek behind and see the real us. So we come to church and we put on the face and we say the language and praise the Lord and hallelujah and God bless you, brother. And all the time we're lying and we know we have not been in God's presence this week. We know we haven't been in the presence of God lately. So we put a veil over our face so no one would notice that the glory is fading. And this is how we lie. Hey, brother, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, everything's great, man. <laughs> and you know things are not great. And you got the veil over your face, hoping that they don't probe any further because they really see the real you. Ladies, you come to church with the veil and you put on the smile and, and you know, how things going, Sally? Oh, things are great, you know. And, and all of a sudden, you don't want them to ask any further because you know if they ask one more question, you're going to burst into tears. And so we come to church with the veil over our faces. Lying about who we really are, and we don't want people to see what's going on behind. And this is why the Bible says, putting away lying, let each one of you, watch this, speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. We need to speak truth to each other. Hey, bro, how things are going? Oh, bro, man, things stunk this week. Man, I got into it with, with my wife, you know, I kicked the dog, and I just, you know, <laughs> man. And here's the thing, when we ask how someone is doing, watch this, be ready to be able to receive when they dump the truck on you. Because they may dump the truck and you like, oh, I, I didn't ask for all that. I just really asked how you were doing, you know. You need to be ready. See, this is why folks don't speak truth, because people really don't want to know. Oh, I got my own issues to deal with, you know. I don't need that, Jim, you know. Make an appointment with one of the pastors, you know. <laughs> and this is why many times we come with a veil over our face because we know that a lot of folks here don't really want to know how we're really doing. 
So we need to be careful. So we got to put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The second thing we're told to put away, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry, or gitzo is the Greek word. And it means to irritate, to, to anger, you know. It, the, the, this is the root of para or gitzo that is used in, in, in Ephesians 6, 4, when it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Provoke is para or gitzo. It, 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 it's to irritate, to provoke, to anger, to wrath, that sort of thing. Notice it says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger is internal. When anger becomes external, it becomes wrath. Anger is the emotion on the inside. When you let it out, that's wrath. So it says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Hmm. That means when you experience that irritation, that anger, that, that emotion on the inside, when you experience that, the clock is ticking. This is why I tell couples all the time, never go to bed angry because the clock is ticking. Because what happens is when the sun goes down on your anger, then verse 27 here, nor give place to the devil. You give place to the devil to come into your life and bring his friend. He has a friend that's connected to anger and it's called bitterness. When it says, nor give place, that Greek word can be translated opportunity. It gives the idea of, you know, when someone's trying to close the door and they put their foot to keep the door from closing. When we are angry and we don't deal with it before the sun goes down, watch this. Then we give place for Satan to come and bring his boy with him and his boy's bitterness. And we give him an opportunity. It's been rightfully said, you give Satan an inch and he will become your ruler. Rightfully said. Here's the thing. Notice that it says, nor give place to the devil. Devil, uh, diablos uh, is the Greek word there. It means, you know, slanderer, accuser. Watch this. Watch how it all connects together. When we're angry and we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give room for Satan to turn us into the Diablos. When you allow the sun to go down on your anger as a couple, then all of a sudden you become the accuser of your spouse. You become the slanderer of your spouse to your family members, to your girlfriends, to your, to your boys on the job. It's amazing when we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give room for Satan to come in and turn us into who he is, the Diablos. And we become the slanderer. We become the accuser. Where have you been? No, I don't believe you were there. And we're now we're the accuser. We know from Revelation 12, 10 and 11 that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the believers day and night before God. And when we don't deal with our anger, Satan turns us into who he is, an accuser and a slanderer. How many times, ladies, have you called to slander your husband to your family members and your sisters and your friends? How many times, men, have you slandered your wife to your boys on the job? 
When we don't deal with that anger, Satan turns us and turns us into who he is, the slanderer. So we got to put away anger. We got to put away lying. We got to put away anger. We, got, we have to stop giving Satan a room, opportunity, foothold into our lives. Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Notice it says, let him who stole. A klepto is the Greek word there. It means to take something that doesn't belong to you. We get our English word kleptomaniac, which is a person who cannot stop stealing. So notice he said, let him who stole steal no longer. Let him who stole past tense steal present tense no longer. There's different ways we can steal. We can steal when we take the credit that belongs to someone else. Those of you who are bosses on jobs and stuff, your workers did the work, but you steal the credit from them. That's stealing. We see it biblically in 1 Samuel uh, 13 and verses 3 and 4. Jonathan, King Saul's son, won a great victory against the Philistines, and King Saul stole the credit from him. That's stealing. Now, this next thing I'm about to say about stealing, I'm going to say what I'm about to say, then I'm going to go on back to Virginia and let y'all settle, <laughs> let y'all rest in it. We steal when we don't tithe to the Lord. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12 talks about how, it's, see, many people believe, no, I just don't give. No, you're robbing God. You're stealing from God. You're stealing money from God. If you steal from God, who can plead your case? If you steal from him. Oh, you can steal from other people, and you know, you can get your fancy, fancy pants lawyer to get you off. But who can plead your case if you steal against God? So, and for those who don't know, uh, tithing is giving 10% of your income to the Lord. We're not really talking about a lot of money. Really, come on. We're not talking about, let, let's just say you make $300 a week. We're talking about 30 bucks. I mean, really? Well, is that really what we're griping about? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In every church across the nation, only 20% of that church supports that church financially across the nation. The other 80% are alone for the ride. Oh, it's, it's cold in here. Ooh, it's, it's, the light, oh, it's dark. And, oh, where's the air conditioner? And you don't give a dime. Here's the thing. Only 20% support. It's like the football mentality. 22 people on the field doing all the work, 80,000 in the stands cheering. <laughs> Get them. And so here's the thing. We, we steal when we don't give what belongs to the Lord. And that's something that that's between you and the Lord. See, God provides for every church from the people who called that their church. He provides. He provides for every church. So that means, see, this is what breaks my heart. This is what breaks my heart. When we, the church, have to go to the world 
to get money to do God's work. That breaks my heart because God's people refuse to do what God told them to do as far as tithing. We have to go beg the world, the banking institutions. Can you give us money so we can do God's work as if God is broke or God is teetering on bankruptcy? Neither one of them. And it's a sad thing. All churches do it. It's, they do it because, unfortunately, the people of God, the dear children of God, are refusing to obey God in this area. i leave that right there. So we must put away stealing. And then he tells us why we work. He tells us why we work. Notice he says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have, some, uh, have something to give to those who have need. So the reason why we work is not so we can hoard money for ourselves, it's so we can give to those who are in need. We, we, we've been driving around your wonderful city, and, and we see people. On the exit, the freeways with signs, you know, we'll work for food or, you know, or homeless, can you help or whatever. And we know that there are many of them are scamming out there. They're just scammers, we know. But there are some who are really in need. And, and before you turn your little snooty nose up at them, just realize you one paycheck away from holding up your own sign out there. One paycheck away. And so you need to be very mindful. The reason why you have money is to give to those who are in need. Watch this. We're told to be imitators of God as dear children. We're most like God when we give and when we forgive. For God so loved the world that he gave. We're most like God when we give and forgive. That means the children of God should be the most giving and the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. Should be. So we work to give to those who have need. Now, I'm one of those type of people. I know many of you are as well. I don't carry cash anymore. I just don't. So I have to purposely grab cash and stash it in the car so I can give to those who are in need. Now, like I said, many of them are out there scamming. I leave that to God to deal with. If God prompts me to, to give, I give and I did, you know, hey, God bless you. Hey, you know, hey, 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 you misused it. This is God's money. God's going to get you. <laughs> I tell them, I don't know, I don't have a chance. You go and try to get some bottle, that bottle going to break. As soon as you, you know, you're going to, hey, don't fool around with God's money. I tell them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up front with them. I tell them, I tell them. So that's why we give. That's why, you know, that's why we work, so we can give to those who have need. So, so we, we must put away stealing and working with our hands so we can give to those who have need. Look at verse 29. Notice it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Notice that, let no corrupt. Sapros is the Greek word. It means that which is rotten. That which is spoiled, it gives the idea of spoiled or rotten fruit or veggies. That, that's what it, so it says, let no corrupt, no spoiled, rotten word proceed out of your mouth. <sighs> I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how many people who call themselves believers and they use profanity. 
I'm shocked at that. You know why? Because Matthew 12, verse 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that the tongue goes down into the well of the heart and brings up what is in there and comes out. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So if Christ is in my heart and the tongue goes down in the well and brings up what is there, then I should be bringing out and speaking forth words that are Christ-like. This is why when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, when I was in uh, Okinawa, Japan, when I was in the Marine Corps back in 1985, the first area God cleaned up was my potty, filthy mouth because Christ was dwelling in my heart through faith. Therefore, the words that came out had to be Christ-like. It had to reflect the one that was now in my heart. So this is why I question those who say that they're Christians and they have no problem. They'll cuss you up one side, down the other. I have a problem with that. You're judging them. Yes. Yes, I am. First Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says, he who is spiritual judges all things. So yeah, I'm judged. Yes. I question their salvation because if they say Christ is in their heart and what's coming out is filthiness, then I question that. I question that. I question that Christ is really in there. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 15. They draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what it reminds me of. And there are many people who can draw near to the Lord with their lips and talk to church, talking to praise the Lord and hallelujah, brother, and all that kind of stuff, but their heart is far from. How do we know their heart is far from them? Because what comes out of the, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. I can spend 10 minutes with a person. I can tell you where they are in their walk with the Lord, if they have a walk at all. So we must put away filthiness out of our mouths. I'm surprised at how men call their wives the B word. And I'm just, I'm shocked by that kind of stuff. When God saved me, he, he saved me. You can't have an encounter with the creator of the universe and remain the same. You cannot, not at all. I'm, I'm, so I'm blown away, those who are claiming Christianity and their mouth is filthy. I, I just don't, I, it's a disconnect between their lives and what the word teaches. So we got to put away these filthy words. But notice he said what kind of words we should speak. We should speak words, but what is good for necessary edification? Words that should build up. The word edification there is a construction term. It, it means to build, in building of a house. So we should be speaking words that build each other up. And it's amazing how we speak words that tear down our spouses, tear down our children, tear down those on the job. Even though the word of God makes very clear in Titus 3.2, it says, speak evil of no one. I'm going to let that sink in a minute. That includes presidents. Speak evil of no one. Oh, see, some of y'all have not. That's all right. I'm going to let that peel. The word, the peel of that word, it's it kind of big. It's like a horse peel. And, I'm, it, it, and it's, it's getting stuck right here. And you got to do like this, you know, to get it down. So we got to speak words to build up. And watch this, that it may impart grace to the hearers. The Bible says when Jesus spoke, it said the people heard the gracious words that came out of his mouth. 
And as we are being told to be imitators of God as dear children, we should be speaking words and people should hear the gracious words that come out of our mouths. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer each one. So when people hear us speak, they should be receiving the grace of God, God's unmerited, undeserved favor in their ears when they hear us. When you speak, men, to your wives, does she hear the grace of God or does she hear the wrath of God? Ladies, your husband, does he get the wrath of God, those words? Do you ever speak gracious words to him? Do you ever build him up? Do you ever thank him for providing a roof over your head? Do you ever, have you ever used words to build him up? Oh, just, I'll let that sink a minute. So we are told to put away those things. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. The word grieve there in the Greek is lupeo. It means to cause pain to. It means that whenever we are lying and not speaking truth with our neighbor, whenever we are uh, angry and allow the sun to go down on our anger, whenever we're giving place to Satan, whenever we're stealing, whenever we're allowing, um, you know, corrupt words to come out of our mouth, the Spirit of God is grieved. Whenever we are taking God's money and we go watch whatever it is on the big screen, whatever we are secretly watching on our phones when our wives go to bed and all that kind of stuff, the Spirit of God is grieved. It's not like we're about to watch a movie at home or at the movie theater and all of a sudden the, the Spirit of God says, hey, bro, hey, um, I'll be out here until you get done. And then I, once you repent and then I come back in you, and then we can continue walking. No, no, no. We take the Spirit of God with us. And whatever it is we're watching, whatever it is we're listening to, whatever it is we're doing, the Spirit of God is either uh, uh, applauding or the Spirit of God is like, ooh, uh. That's the word lupeo. It's not like the Spirit of God would be grieved away because the Bible said we're sealed to the day of redemption, verse 30 told us. But it's grieved. It's grieved. And we can't be imitators of God and grieving the Lord at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to do that. So we got to put that away. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, I'm so glad Paul said this. You know why? Notice what he said. Let me draw this to your attention. He says, let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know why he said let all? Because there's some bitterness that we feel justified in having. Remember, bitterness is the byproduct of allowing the sun to go down on our anger. Satan brings his boy, which is bitterness. And there are many of you, ladies, let me just say this. Let me say this, ladies. You more so than us because of men because you're more in touch with your emotions. Many of you are bitter. You're bitter and, and you allow the sun to go down. And there's some bitterness you feel justified in having because you don't know, Pastor Tony, he really hurt me. And you feel justified and everybody else have to pay for what this guy did to you. 
and you're bitter about it and you feel justified because he ran off with your best friend or he left you with these four babies or, 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 or the boss did this to you or somebody split the company or whatever and you feel justified in some of the bitterness you have and Paul said, let it all go. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath. Notice what he says, evil speaking. The Greek word is blasphemia. It's where we get blaspheme from. It means to slander. Uh, it means to slander or try to destroy someone's reputation or their character. He said, let it all go. Some of you are here and you've been bitter for a long time. And I believe this is why many Christians are mean. Because you're, you're, you're bitter. You're bitter over something someone did to you. You were being Christ-like, and they took advantage of your Christ-likeness. And you're bitter now, angry. Many of you ladies, ex-spouses, boyfriends, and everybody had to pay for what this guy did to you. You sabotaged every relationship because you failed to let go of this one. Oh, let it all go. Somebody need to hear that. You need to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I'm running out of time. Look at verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice he said, be kind to one another. I told you, I, you know, I, I, I posted an article that I read on social media. It's talking about why Christians are mean. Christians are mean. A lot of Christians are mean. Nasty. Even when you're being nice, you nice nasty. It just, <laughs> it's just mean. And, and, and many times because people took advantage of your Christ-likeness and now you're angry and bitter about it. And you go around instead of reflecting the joy of the Lord, you're reflecting years of anger and bitterness. So he said, be kind to one another. Watch this. Tenderhearted. Tenderhearted is the opposite of hard-hearted. And many people, I talked to someone sat, uh, last night, uh, after last night's service, they said that, you know, what happens is, is that because she was hurt at one time, she put up a wall. And, and, and I, I had to stop her. I said, that wall is to keep anybody else from getting close to you and hurting you again. She said, you bingo, you got it. But I said, you know what? When you have a wall up, yes, it will protect you from further hurt, but it also turned you hard-hearted. And the Bible said we're told to be tender-hearted. And then, because I'm running out of time, then he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here we go, forgiving one another. Oh, boy. I, I, I gave a message in Matthew 18 called The Prison of Unforgiveness. And I, and, and I guarantee you, there are many of you, you have clothes on right now, but you don't realize what I see. I see you have prison clothes on because you're in the prison of unforgiveness, refusing to forgive what someone has done to you. Show me a person that doesn't forgive, and I'll show you a person who doesn't realize how much they have been forgiven. God doesn't give us room to come up with our own definition of forgiveness. Our definition of forgiveness is, I forgive you, but I won't forget. What they're saying is that I will forever hold this over your head. It will be my, for you card players, it will be my trump card that I will put, pull out 
whenever I get good and ready, and I would dangle it over your head. God doesn't give us room. He doesn't give us room to come up with our own definition of forgiveness. Notice, he tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here it is, God's definition, even as. See, he doesn't leave us room to come up with our own level of definition of forgiveness. No, he says, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we forgive. What does that look like? Let me give you the true definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is treating the person as if the offense never occurred. Let me go over here and say that because y'all didn't get it. Yeah, let me go over here. <laughs> forgiveness means treating the person as if the offense never occurred. Isn't this how God forgave us? We don't wake up each morning with, you know, Lord, thank you for a new day. Yeah, you got a new day, but I remember what you did yesterday. <laughs> God doesn't do us like this. He told us in the Bible, he says, and I will remember your sin no more. God, who is all-knowing, he's omniscient, that God decides in his own prerogative that he's going to forget something. And that is our sin. Oh, that, that's, I don't understand this God we serve. Amazing, incredible God. So he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Many of you, let me just tell you this story. I talked to a relative yesterday, just yesterday. He was telling me how, you know, he saw his ex-wife and because their son that they had together was finally getting married. So everybody was there. She came with her boyfriend. So he knew the guy. From a long time ago, kids growing up. He said, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, man, good, man, good to see you. It's been a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as the ex-wife saw him, she put on her coat and stormed out. The son, who was getting married, and his sister was like, Mom, where are you going? She didn't even, she acted like she didn't hear him. Left out. Left the boyfriend there. She is still angry and bitter. Watch this. They've been divorced for 30 years. She is still serving a 30-year prison term of unforgiveness. How long is your sentence? How long has your sentence been? He split the company 20 years ago, and you're still angry and bitter about it. That man left you for your best friend 15 years ago. You're serving a 15-year prison term. How long is your prison term? The Lord wants to set you free. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus wants to set you free from your prison of unforgiveness. It's time to let it go. Let it go. Ladies, let it go. Men, we have a way. We, 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 we say deuces and we move on. We, we, you know, ladies, y'all wear your heart on your sleeve. You just, and and you, you carry it longer than we do. But the Lord wants to free you. You cannot be 
who God wants you to be if you're still holding on to unforgiveness. He wants you to let it go. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even in God for Christ forgave you. Now, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Let, let me conclude with this. There are some things we're told to take off that will hinder us from being imitators of God as dear children. And we got to put away the line. We got to speak truth. We got to put the anger away. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We, we must not give place to the devil anymore. We got to stop stealing whatever that looks like in our lives. We got to stop allowing the corrupt words to proceed out of our mouths. We'll speak words that's going to build up and impart grace. We got to stop grieving the spirit. And we got to let all the anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even really get into that that much. Evil speaking be put away with all malice. But he told us to be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ forgave us. And here's the thing. The world isn't turned off to Jesus. They're turned off to our representation of Jesus. But we will represent him as dear children of God when we put away these things. Apothetemi, put it away, lay it aside, renounce. And we will truly be children of God, imitators of him. And this world will be blown away when they see Jesus in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your loving kindness towards us. Lord, thank you for your tender mercies. Lord, I pray for us, your precious people. Lord, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. And dear God, I just pray that your spirit will move in our hearts and our lives today. Draw us to you by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. God bless you. Hey, there's going to be some folks, some of the leaders available for prayer uh, up front. Whatever you need prayer for, let them pray with you and for you. And also, if you never repented of your sin, accepted Christ as your, Lord, as your Lord and Savior, they will love to pray with you and for you about these things. God bless you again. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.